0: Good morning. You guys get all quiet when we walk out. It's like you know something's coming. (laughs) Welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church on this beautiful sunny Sunday morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God. (laughs) Hillary says it's not sunny. Is it not sunny? It's It's a little sunny. sunnier than yesterday.
1: Please
2: we've come today to worship your holy name. Thank you for being here with us. Let our songs and our thoughts, our prayers, our words bring glory to you and lead us more and more into the likeness of Christ. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Just a couple things I want to mention uh, in your bulletin. Um, you'll notice that uh, on the insert in your bulletin, uh, the yellow one, uh, I want to remind you about Operation Christmas Child. We've got a couple of weeks left, three weeks, I guess, from today. The 11th, those will need to all be in. Uh, so if you're interested in doing that, uh, you want to begin making plans for that. Also, uh, a group of students at the college have organized... Uh, uh, a way of praying for all the college students and we want to be a part of that. So if you're interested in taking, a, a, we have some cards in the back with five names on them. They're in a basket right as you go out the door here, blue cards. Grab one of those and you, we, you can just pray for these five students. Uh, you can do it every day or once a week, whatever, you, whatever works for you but just want to bathe the students at the college in prayer and be a part of this uh, student-led ministry. Also, you'll, you'll notice that we are Uh, Just a week away from beginning our own prayer vigil, uh, three weeks, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is the fourth year that we've done this, and I'm really excited about coming together once again to pray. We are doing some new things in the prayer room for those of you who have been in there before. If you haven't ever been in the prayer room, I invite you to stop by. It's just right down below the sanctuary here in the far corner. And uh, there's a number of things to do. You may be wondering to yourself, if you haven't been in there yet, what do you do with an hour praying? Uh, time goes by quickly. There's a lot of interactive things in the room to help you pray. There's, you can ways of expressing your prayers uh, through art or through writing, through words, through music. Whatever you'd like to do, but we want to encourage you to be a part of this. We are convinced that praying is the foundation of the church. And this is a really exciting time for us to come together and to pray and, and I love the idea that as one person finishes, the next person is going into the room. And that person finishes and the next person comes. You just have this flow in and out every hour of people coming to pray. And uh, it, it, it's exciting to see that. I like coming to pray in the middle of the night because it's so quiet. And uh, if I want to sing, I can sing. And, you know, I'm not bothering anybody. And uh, so, you know, you... You can, we want to encourage you to be a part of, um, of this prayer gathering. You can sign up this morning in the foyer back here or in the community room foyer. Uh, you can sign up for an hour or more if you want. Uh, you can also sign up online uh, yourself, and you see the address in the, in the um, colored insert uh, picture on it, uh, hwchurch.org prayer, and that will take you to the, the sign-up. And you can sign up for an hour or more if you'd like, but we hope you'll be a part of this prayer gathering. There are a number of prayer concerns here in the bulletin, things related to us as well as the world. And we continue to ask for God's grace on each of our lives and on all of his people that he created and loves.
0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Chronicles 9. I'll be reading selected verses. All Israel was listed in the genealogies recorded in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. They were taken captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Now, the first to resettle on their own property in their own towns were some Israelites, priests, Levites, and temple servants. The priests, who were head of, heads of families, were able men responsible for ministering in the house of God, including Levites and gatekeepers. The gatekeepers were stationed at the king's gate on the east. Shalom and his fellow gatekeepers from his family were responsible for guarding the thresholds of the tent, just as their ancestors had been responsible for guarding the entrance to the dwelling of the Lord. In earlier times, Phinehas, son of Eliezer, was the official in charge of the gatekeepers, and the Lord was with him. Zechariah was the gatekeeper at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Altogether... Those chosen to be gatekeepers at the thresholds numbered 212. They were registered by genealogy in their villages. The gatekeepers had been assigned to their positions of trust by David and Samuel the seer. They and their descendants were in charge of guarding the gates of the house of the Lord. The house called the tent of meeting. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, east, west, north, and south. Their fellow Levites in their villages had to to come from time to time and share their duties for seven-day periods. But the four principal gatekeepers, who were Levites, were entrusted with the responsibility for the rooms and treasuries in the house of God. They would spend the night stationed around the house of God because they had to guard it, and they had charge of the key for opening it each morning. Some of them were in charge of the articles used in the temple service, They counted them when they were brought in and when they were taken out. Others were assigned to take care of the furnishings and all the other articles of the sanctuary, as well as the special flour and wine and the olive oil, incense, and spices. But some of the priests took care of mixing the spices. A Levite named Mattathiah, the firstborn son of Shalom the Korahite, was entrusted with the responsibility for baking the offering bread. Some of the Kohathites, their fellow Levites, were in charge of preparing for every Sabbath the bread set out on the table. Those who were musicians, heads of Levite families, stayed in the rooms of the temple and were exempt from other duties because they were responsible for the work day and night. All these were heads of Levite families, chiefs as listed in their genealogy, and they lived in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. And now I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to facilitate the givings of our, this morning's tithes and offerings.
2: As we spend a few moments praying together, if you'd like to come and kneel at the altar, I invite you to join me. Father, we thank you for your watchful care over us. Thank you that you hide us in your power and your goodness and your mercy and grace. That you watch over us every day of our lives. We understand that this does not mean that we are exempt from trials and pain and difficulties. Because those are all things that come with living in this broken, fallen world. But we know that in the midst of those, you are our strength and you are our help. And today we pray for those that we know, ourselves, others, who are struggling with grief and pain and loss, and agony of soul and spirit and body. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for ourselves and for one another. Heavenly Father, we pray for your gentle care upon your children throughout the world. For those who suffer innocently because of evil. For people caught in the crossfire of conflict and war. For people who are hungry and homeless. Heal and restore. Feed and clothe every person in their need. And Father, we ask that you will so burden our hearts that we would feel the compassion of Christ in such a way that we beg you to let us be channels of healing and grace and help and love Father this is the prayer that we offer to you through the power and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven
1: are saved, find their way at the sound of your grace.
2: Even if you stay to the end of a movie and watch all the credits roll by until they're totally finished okay there's a couple of you not very many I suspect most of us don't pay that much attention to the credits unless somebody we know is going to be listed there once we see the movies done and the credits begin if we're in a theater we're up and out of there if we're at home we stop the DVD because it's not important to us you couldn't make a movie without all those people who were in the credits. If the only, only people who made the movie were the stars that you saw on the screen, that'd be a pretty pathetic movie. Yet You've got to have them. How many of us think about how the, the words of an author get onto the page and how that page gets bound into a book? We don't think about that. We just pick up a book, we think about the author, and we read the story. How about if you go to an opera or a play or a drama of some kind? Who thinks about the person that opens and shuts the curtain? The only time we think about that person is if it doesn't open and shut at the right time. But if you go to a stadium for a football game or you know, a big soccer event or something, concert, you go to a stadium. Who thinks about the people that clean up the stadium before you get there? We don't think about it unless they didn't do it for four or five weeks. Then we might think about it. We tend, in our culture, we tend to not place high value on jobs that are behind the scenes. And yet, in every one of those cases, the stuff that we, that we go for, the things that's, that are important to us, it would all fall apart if it weren't for all the people who are behind the scenes at work that we tend to not pay attention to. And that same mindset is in the church. We do the same thing all the time. Something of that was in the back of my mind as I was reading, I've been reading through the Bible this year, once again. And if you haven't ever done that, it's a great practice just to read from beginning to end. And I know you, you kind of get into some places where you think, what is the value of this? But you know, just keep doing it. And you, you find some enlightening things. And as I was reading through First Chronicles, and the first nine chapters of First Chronicles are not exactly the most inspiring part of the Bible. We skipped all the genealogies and make us read all of that for Naomi's sake as well as for the rest of us. But you get to this chapter and reading along about the people coming back to Jerusalem after being in exile for 70 years. And they're reestablishing the temple, and the Levites are there, and the priests are there. And they're getting everything ready, and it's describing for us the people who are involved in that. Now, we expect the priests and the Levites to be there because they're the ones who sacrifice the animals. They're the ones that you come to and you hand them your grain offering and they they present that to God. They're the ones that you see and they're the important people in the temple, right? And then he goes along and he talks about the gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers are people that we see. You know, the gatekeepers are standing out there. They're guarding the place and they they take their turns and, and they're a part of guarding the temple, the treasury and all the things that go on there. But what intrigued me is you get to verse 31, and it talks about the guy who makes the bread for the temple. Now, I've got to tell you, I've known for a long time that the temple had bread in it. Never once did it occur to me, I wonder who makes the bread. And, and the writer of Chronicles says, just so you know, let me just throw in this little statement. There is a guy, Matthihiah, who makes the bread. And some of his fellow Levites are assigned to make sure the bread gets taken in and taken out at appropriate times so that it's right. See, back when God first established the tabernacle in the temple, there was incense, there were sacrifices, there were all the things that they were to do, but there was also bread. There was always bread in the tabernacle and later in the temple because God wanted to remind his people that he would take care of them. He wanted to remind them of his provision that would never run dry. He would take care of them. He would supply not only their spiritual needs, but their physical needs as well. And it's easy for us to forget that, which is, I think, why Jesus says, has us pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Bread is sort of this universal food that describes all of the ways in which our bodies are nourished. And there's bread in the temple. Later on, Solomon is talking to writes a letter to King Hiram in Tyre as he's, re, as he's building the great temple in Jerusalem, and he says, "I'd like to buy some cedar logs for you from you to build this temple. And I'm going to build this temple so that my people can burn incense and make sacrifices and see the bread that God supplies for them. Is that important? It's essential to their worship. And without that bread being there, the people would quickly forget that God is the one who provides and supplies for every need of their life. And so they come into the temple and there's the bread. They, and, and nobody, I don't think anyone thinks to themselves, or very few people do, on how the bread got here. You just sort of assume it's going to be there. When our son John was, I don't know, six, seven years old, maybe five years old, I don't remember exactly. We were having a conversation with him about something he wanted us to buy. And we said to him, John, we don't have the money to buy that right now. And his comment was, well, just go to the bank and get some. (laughs) How hard can it be? I mean, he'd watched us go into the bank, hand him a slip of paper, and they gave us cash. Sounds like a good deal, Right. Had to try to explain to him that you have to have money in the bank for them to give you more money. That concept hadn't gotten through to him yet, and and I think we do that with a lot of the things. I think people do that with the temple bakery. They don't. And they forget that somebody has to get up late, stay up late at night, get up early in the morning, and bake the bread. And in those days, they didn't have a Kitchen Aid. You know, they didn't have an electric oven or a gas oven. They had to cook it over fire, and they, they didn't have the same kinds of conveniences of life that we have. This uh, clay figurine from an excavation done uh, that was years ago brought back just gives you an idea of just the, the, the time-consuming part of making bread. And every week, those loaves of bread are changed. People take out the old ones, bring in the new ones, to remind the people when they come to the temple that God will provide. But most people... Don't pay any attention to who makes the bread. Because it's not out front. And in our celebrity culture, we think about the people we see. We think about the people that are visibly using their gifts and doing work for the kingdom. And we tend to value those people more. But the reality is the temple worship would not be what God intended it to be if it wasn't for the people baking and setting out the bread. And in the church, we can never be the church that God calls us to be. We will never see the mission of the church fulfilled as God wants it to be without all kinds of people who are willing to bake bread and set out bread. In 1 Corinthians 12... Paul is describing the gifts of the, of the body. When he comes to verse 22, he says, the, thing, the gifts that you think are weaker, less important, are actually indispensable. They're not just good, they're indispensable. And I think we, we forget that. You know, we we get so wrapped up in the things that we see and, and and in the way that things that people do that are obvious to us and visible to us. We forget about all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And so this morning, I want to say thank you to every person here who ministers in the church and ministers for the kingdom in ways even outside the church. And especially to those of you who do things that are behind the scenes. I want to say thank you to everyone who who works with our children on Wednesday nights and deals with energetic boys and girls. And the people who who work with Sunday school, people who work in the nursery and change diapers. And deal with children that don't want to be there. And maybe screaming. And and people who work in children's church. And people who work with our youth group. On Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. Loving them, caring for them. And people who do set up for the youth group. People who make pancakes for the prayer breakfast on Tuesday morning. People who drive the kids to school after prayer breakfast. People who deliver meals on wheels. I want to say thank you to people who work in the sound booth and people who put the things up on the screens for PowerPoint. Thank you to people who who put the inserts in the bulletins. You know, if you're like me, you pick those up and you don't really think about it. They just sort of magically are there. Somebody does that. And thank you to people who work in the library and create this wonderful place for us and all the books that we have and they catalog them so they're easy to find and they make good choices for us. People who do that in virtual obscurity and people who stay around after church events and clean up and people who who come through the sanctuary between services and pick up paper. Thank you. And it's not just thank you but it's Your ministry, your work for the kingdom is what makes the church the church. Your work that is behind the scenes and that probably gets no recognition and you feel sometimes as though it doesn't really matter whether you do it or not is so important to the kingdom. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for giving your time in obscurity. Thank you for giving your energy when people are paying attention and when they're not. Thank you for just serving and caring and being a part of what this church does here and outside of here. Thank you. What's fascinating to me is that even though we even though other people may not see what we do god doesn't miss anything we do none of our work is invisible to god he sees all of it he sees every every moment we spend giving to another person even if other people don't he sees every hour we spend preparing a lesson He knows the energy we exert to run around with boys and girls on a Wednesday night. He sees all of it, even if no one else does. And when you get to Colossians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the church and how we ought to relate to each other and the importance of that and caring for each other and loving each other. And you get to verse 17, he says, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all For the glory of God. You see, whatever we do for the kingdom brings glory to God. And I think when we do things in obscurity, when we do things that that maybe other people don't see, I think it brings unbelievable joy to the heart of God. Because he knows we're doing it, not so other people will see us, but simply because we care. Because people are important to us. Because we want to bring glory to him. The catechism says that's why we were created. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And what's so fascinating to me is that when we bring glory to God by what we do, it's not just that we bring glory to God, but we bring joy to God. He is thrilled to watch us serve and to use our gifts and to minister in ways where we don't use our gifts, but we're just, it's just the right thing to do. God is pleased. And I can almost picture the, the huge smile on his face every time we do something that nobody else recognizes or knows. That's why we're having communion this morning. This table is really the great equalizer. You know, at this table, it's not what gifts do you have or what gifts don't you have. It's not how long you've been a Christian or how short of a time you've been a Christian. This is level ground. At this table, it's just people coming and and saying, I need the grace of God in my life. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Thank you for any way you might be able to use me. And we come today to this table because God makes us one. And whatever gifts we have, whatever work we do, visible or invisible, it's all equal here at the table because it's all about the kingdom. It's all about Christ. And we're going to take communion by intention this morning. As people walk to the front, you walk to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. We watch each other come up and we're reminded that the church is the church only because all of us are doing something. All of us are, are giving something of ourselves. Now I suspect that maybe some of you might be in a place of life where you may not be able to give much of your time or your energy. Maybe you have done that for a long time, but just at a place of life where you can't do that. But I want to thank you for being a person who prays. We often think about prayer as sort of a a secondary thing that we do. You know, all is lost. I guess we better pray. What can I do for you? Um, Well, you could pray. Well, what else could I do for you? You can pray. I mean, the reason we're doing the prayer vigil is because we believe prayer is foundational to everything of our lives. As individuals and as the body of Christ, we pray. Well, thank you for being people who pray. It's really not about whether people notice or not. and it's not that the accolades are are bad. It's not that saying thank you to someone is the wrong thing to do. it's the right thing to do. We all need to be encouraged. but whether we are or not, whatever we do for the kingdom brings glory to God and brings joy to the heart of God. As I was pondering this sermon, this week, my mind went back to when I started college far too many years ago. And I remember the Sunday, my parents dropped me off at, at uh, I went to school at George Fox in Oregon. My parents dropped me off there. I was in the dorm room on Sunday. Had hardly been to this campus. We'd just moved to Oregon a month or so before and didn't really know what to expect about school about college. You know, that feeling at first day of classes, you just overwhelmed with all of the syllabi at one time. But in order to pay for my education, to help pay for it, I had a work study job. Went to the work study office. They said, "We've assigned you to maintenance." I'm thinking, "All right, that, you may regret that if you're asking me to build something or wire something or do anything like that." Uh, fortunately, they didn't. I went to the maintenance building. And they said, uh, "We've assigned you to Everett." I'm like, okay, point me in the direction. Everett's over there. Everett was probably in his sixties, I would guess. Um. Kind of a thin, wiry guy, a little bit crusty sometimes, but you know, I, I learned to love him. He, he was in charge of all the set ups on campus. If if there was a if there was an event happening. If there was something going on that needed tables or chairs set up or needed things arranged, he was the guy you talked to. And so I spent my whole freshman year with working with him, carrying chairs from one room and one building to another and tables from one room, one building to another and, and moving furniture and setting up stuff. And, and it was the kind of job that nobody thought about unless it wasn't done right. You know, we asked for three tables. How come there are only two here? Those kinds of conversations. But ever, whatever, and you know, nobody really paid that much attention to him, and I don't think it really, he really cared. What I noticed was that wherever we went, he was either whistling, singing, or engaged in an animated conversation with anybody who would talk to him. He loved people, and I, he loved his job. And he loved the college, and he did his job with such joy. It was contagious. And I remember times when a work order would come in at the last minute and it was a pretty big setup. And I'm thinking to myself, good grief, what's wrong with these people? His response would be, all right, son, we got some work to do, let's go. And off we go and he'd be whistling and singing and engaging people in conversation. It was amazing. And I worked with him my freshman year. I worked with him my sophomore year. And my junior year, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And I went to the hospital to see him a few times and he was the same guy you know he he wanted to know about my life and he wanted to know what god was doing in my heart and he wanted to know about the college and and later that spring some friends and i attended his funeral and you know as i think back on that most of the maintenance group was there at the funeral a few people from the college a few folks from his church his family but it wasn't a it wasn't a service with hundreds and hundreds of people. And nobody stood up and said, talked about all the world changing things that Everett had done. He just lived kind of an ordinary life. And most people didn't have any idea how he spent his days. But I guarantee you when he met his, when he met his master, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not really about people recognizing us. It's just about serving. And I want to thank you for your service. For your prayers, for your work for your investment in the kingdom because God is pleased with that and God is glorified even when nobody else sees it.
1: Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise, let them flow in ceaseless pray. Take my hands and
2: We come today acknowledging you as Creator and Sovereign Lord of the universe. You love the world so much, you sent your Son Jesus Christ to be our Savior. And then you raised him from the dead that we might have new life, and he ascended to be with you in glory. And according to his promise, he's with us always. Father, we remember the night when he met with his disciples. And he took bread, and he gave thanks to you, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. And we remember that on that same night, he took the cup. And again, he gave thanks to you, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me, Father. As we remember all of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and the surrender of our lives to you, all that we are, all that we do. Send the power of your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts that in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup we may know the presence of the living Christ. We may be one body in him, cleansed by his blood. That we will faithfully serve him in this world and look forward to his coming in final victory. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
1: Take my silver and my gold Na, nah. Table, Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once you ran on me, now seated at your table.